Hey, it's a movie podcast. Fine. We should have popcorn. And this is skinny pop popcorn. So right, we're being healthy. Go through this so that's fine. By the time I get done eating this, we'll all be skinny. <laughs> Just <straight>. Pat. <laughs> this was definitely an interesting month of very mainstream. Mm-hmm. And weird. Like crazy. Repo and, and Man, I, I... I... See, the funny thing is, I like, before we get too far into it, I mm. like Repo Man better than I like Brazil. Ooh, no. Mm. Really? I said the fly. Okay. In a world where some of the greatest motion pictures ever made are reaching their 30th anniversaries, one group of friends gathered together to pay tribute to these films. Pat Cantagallo. Jason Kao. Jeff Mazuka. Dennis Matouche. John Reed. Bo Warbold. Each week, they feature one movie that reminds us why we fell in love with these films in the first place. This year, we travel back in time to 1984 and 1985. You're listening to the 30-something Movie Podcast. Hello and welcome once again to the, that almost sounded like a Lando Calrissian, hello, what have we here? My name is John Reed. I'm the administrator of this podcast, and who might you be? Anyway, welcome back to the 30-something movie podcast. I'm jumping in real quick uh, just to give you a few show notes here. Um, you will notice that we our ranks have been diminished for these next few episodes. Um, all the other guys were either out of town, on vacation, or Jeff uh, apparently decided that he was going to go get married and that spending time with his new bride was more important than podcasting about 30-year-old movies. So there have been other times where I've doubted his commitment to Sparkle Motion, but um, this time in particular, I, I really think he's he's got his priorities a little skewed here. So hopefully we'll get Jeff back at some point soon. Um, but Jason, uh, I think Jason and Dennis are off uh, for a little bit, and they're going to be back probably next month, probably in September, uh, when we get those episodes up and running. Uh, but in the meantime, it's going to be uh, Pat, Bo, and myself uh, for the next few episodes. And uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, let me do the regular spiel of all of our different ways you can get in touch with us. If you'd like to leave some feedback for us, we've got the voicemail line. That's 87235-MOVIE, 87235-MOVIE. You can also tweet us on Twitter. We are at 30 Podcast. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash 30 podcast. And then you can also reach us through our service provider, uh, the30podcast.podbean.com. And that's also where we have our crowdfunding page. Um, we've said it before, it doesn't cost us a whole lot to put out this podcast, but there are some hosting fees. So if you are listening and you know you, you like what you're hearing and you want to support us financially, we appreciate all the support we get from downloads and listeners. Um, but if you feel like you want to support us financially and just throw a dollar or two our way, um, if we even just had a handful of people do that, then we would cover our hosting fees uh, every month. So um, just throwing that out there. Uh, if, if you feel led to do that, then go right ahead. Uh, otherwise, just keep listening, keep downloading, and we are glad that you are here. Our movie this time is Brazil. Uh, it came out February 22nd, 1985, directed by Terry Gilliam um, of Monty Python fame. Music by Michael Kamen. The budget was $15 million. The box office was $9.9 million. There is no Brazil, too. Um, I don't think Terry Gilliam really does sequels anyway. 
Uh, starring Jonathan Price as Sam Lowry. You might have also seen him in Something Wicked This Way Comes, Evita, and Pirates of the Caribbean. He's also recently been in Game of Thrones. Uh, Robert De Niro as Archibald Harry Tuttle, which I don't even think I need to list movies that he's been in. Uh, Catherine Hellman as Mrs. Ida Lowry. She was in the TV show Soap and Who's the Boss? Ian Holm as Mr. Kurtzman from Lord of the Rings, Alien, and Dream Child, which was another movie I thought about doing this year, but it's a little dark and a little creepy. Have you guys ever seen it? No. Okay. Not that I it, recall. It takes the story of Lewis Carroll and Alice in Wonderland, mm-hmm. and it turns it into, like, he plays Lewis Carroll, and it's in the real world, and it's about Lewis Carroll being inspired to write the books, not because, not because this child, who ends up being Alice is a friend, but maybe he wants her to be more than a friend. <laughs> and he's an old man and she's a little girl. Oh. Yeah, so it's a it's kind of a I was about to put it on my list. I'm done. That says I'm well, on no, my list now, just, man. You, yeah, I mean I'll read I'll read the Wikipedia. Page. Read the Wikipedia first and then decide if you want to it's an interesting movie, but yeah, okay. Um, Bob Hoskins, the always wonderful Bob Hoskins. Uh, as Spore, uh, who framed Roger Rabbit. He was also in Hook, um, also died in 2014, for those of you that did not know that. Uh, Michael Palin as Jack Lint, uh, obviously in all the Monty Python movies. And one of my favorites was when he did the TV series Around the World in 80 Days, where he had tried to travel around the globe using only um, trains and automobiles uh, and tried to do it in less than 80 days. Ian Richardson was Mr. Warren. Uh, he died in 2007. He was in Dark City, a lot of other British movies and TV shows. Um, Peter Vaughn was Mr. Helpman. Uh, he has also been in Game of Thrones recently, as well as a lot of other British TV shows and movies. Uh, Kim, it, I guess, Greist or Greist was Jill Layton. Uh, she was also in Throw Mama from the Train, as well as other movies. Jim Broadbent as Dr. Lewis Jaffe was in the Harry Potter movies and Moulin Rouge. Jack Purvis, the little person that played Dr. Chapman and only showed up for maybe like a minute in the movie, if even that, died in 1997. He was in Star Wars, Labyrinth, Willow, and a lot of... Terry Gilliam's other movies. Do you wake from your finest fantasy only to return to your daily nightmare? Is your mother about to look younger than you do? Does the woman of your dreams... I love you. In my dreams, I love you. Still have a few doubts. Then it's time to take a stand. To break out of your dull, humdrum life and into Brazil. You're so pleased. You can make it right this way. It's about flights of fantasy and the nightmare of reality. We're all in this together. Terrorist bombings. I don't think it involves anything unsavory. Hey, trust me, Jack. And late night shopping. <laughs> True love. You don't trust me? Trust you? Trust you? The man who hijacks my truck, loses me my job, has every security man in town looking for me? Of course I trust you. I was only trying to help. Yeah. And creative plumbing. There's a problem. Can you fix it? No, I can't. From Terry Gilliam, director of Time Bandits, Jonathan Price. Sam, what are we going to do with you? Robert De Niro. I came into this game for the action, the excitement. Go anywhere, travel light, get in, get out, wherever there's trouble, a man alone. Catherine Hellman, 
and Michael Palin. We've always been close, haven't we? Yes, Jack. Until this all blows over, just stay away from me. Brazil, it's only a state of mind. We're all in it together, kid. Rotten Tomatoes gave, uh, the critics gave it a 98%, uh, the audience gave it a 90%, and Roger Ebert gave it two out of four stars. So, Roger was, Raj was not a fan of the movie. I'm surprised the audience on Rotten Tomatoes gave it that high of a rating. Yeah. How, how do they, how do they measure audience on Rotten Tomatoes? I mean, the critics are it's, pretty it's obvious. Like, that it's, they kind of, you know, yeah. collect all the critics' ratings and average it. Yeah. It's the same with users. Like, you go on and you just rate the movie, you know, you give it however many stars, you whatever tomatoes. Or, it's an interesting one because it, it it can be a commentary on who goes and rates movies on Rotten Tomatoes that mm-hmm. are old enough that they weren't even thought of right. by the time Rotten Tomatoes came out. So the only people going to Rotten Tomatoes to rate this are the people who... Liked it. Probably liked it. what it seems Brazil. like. That's right. an interesting... Yeah. Otherwise, why are you going to Rotten Tomatoes to... Right. I mean, did you, did you really go watch this movie and you're like, I'm going to Rotten Tomatoes and I'm going to give this a horrible rating? Probably, yeah, probably that's... Not. Yeah, that's... You're yeah. Prob- if you didn't like it in the first hour, you're probably just banned. Probably just turned it off. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of what Sharon and I did. Anyway, the summary of the movie... <laughs> this is the guy that lived in England. I thought of the I British humor. I, I, and you know what? I like Terry Gilliam. This is not my favorite one of his movies. My, but, my but, but brother's we'll quote is... Terry Gilliam's movies are weird. Yeah, they are. That's his weirdest. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. All right. And, and it'll reflect that in my summary that I wrote for the movie. If Orwell's future included plastic surgery, machines that never work, and government employees that never work, this would be Orwell's 1984. Instead, you can join Terry Gilliam on an acid trip where government employee Sam Lowry is searching, literally, for the girl of his dreams. All right. I've got a little bit of background on this one. Um, Gilliam has referred to this movie as a couple of different things. He's referred to it as number two in his Trilogy of Imagination, which starts with Time Bandits, Mm -hmm. then Brazil, and then The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which I will admit it's been a long, long time since I've seen Time Bandits. Um, but Adventures of... There you go. Put it on your list. Oh, yeah. Pat just like, no, grabbed I, his... I've I, never I, seen somebody grab their phone that fast. No. Uh, the, I've seen Time Bandits. Okay. What's going on the list is Baron... Uh, yes. Adventures of Baron Munchausen. I think I also did. Did I tell you about fun. that? You did, and yeah. I forgot to put that... Yeah, I, I, loved, like, I love that movie. It's a great movie. Um, it's all about the craziness of our... And I pulled this off of a, a website that was writing about it. It's all about the craziness of our awkwardly ordered society and the desire to escape it through whatever means possible. And that's kind of... You know, those movies. Time Bandits uh, does it from the perspective of a child. Brazil does it from the perspective of a grown man. And Adventures of Baron Munchausen is more about mortality and doing it from the perspective of an old man. So, in those three ways, trying to escape society. Or, he's also called it part one of a dystopian satire trilogy. With uh, Brazil being part one, Twelve Monkeys being part two, and his one of his newest movies called The Zero Theorem, which I have not seen as part mm-hmm. three. Gilliam has said that Brazil was inspired by 1984, but he's never read it, um, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, the, sounds like Terry Gilliam. Yeah. It sounds like some of the essays I did in high school. <laughs> I, I was inspired by the novel, but I never read it. And thanks for the A- minus on that paper. Um, the design has been referred to as retro-futurism. I did. I got an A-. minus. I never read Grapes of Wrath. But I got an A- minus on that essay. It was awesome. That's impressive. I maybe spent like 20 minutes. Down. If John's high school English teachers are listening. Yeah. Yeah, they're not. He's a teacher now, folks. I was just going to say, yeah, I got some funny stories. Oh, hey, right, you know right. what? <clears throat> if people would just learn to play the game. The design has been referred to as retro-futurism uh, in terms of the sets and how the movie is filmed. 
And Brazil's design ultimately in, influenced Batman in 1989 uh, because Tim Burton and some of his uh, crew were inspired by the ductwork and the other very machine-like uh, gothic ways that um, some of the stuff was portrayed in this movie. And the movie Dark City from 1998, if you guys have seen that one before, um, it is kind of like a much better told version of The Matrix. Dark City's fantastic. In my opinion. Um, and the movie itself is sometimes cited as an influence for steampunk, for the steampunk subculture. I, as I'm watching him drive the car, mm-hmm. the first time you see him in that little one-person car, mm-hmm. the way they shot it, that was the first thought I had. I was like, huh. That, you know, it was just that feel of a steampunky future. Yeah. Yeah. The first and time. then the ducks and everything led to it, but that car, I don't know what it is about that shot, the way they shot it, I was like, huh. The first time we saw that little car, um, Sharon pulled out the line from uh, Muppets Most Wanted. My car has now been outlawed for its outrageous size. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, there's something in some of the, uh, there's something to do with the way they it picks up the color in the camera, too. It just, I don't want to say it was... Well, there were some parts of the movie that were gross. Yeah, I mean, you know, when when Robert De Niro's uh, character reversed the uh, whatever that pipe mm-hmm. was or something, and he filled the suits with the poop, that was pretty. We're all, yeah, we're all some, in it together. Yeah, we're all in it together. Um, but just the way they do, like the camera, and I don't know, I'm not a technical person enough to say it, but just like skin color, people mm-hmm. looked. I mean, you guys maybe you guys know the tech stuff better than me, but even you're just looking at the humans, it's just like they don't look well. Like, they don't, they need to either get some sun or they just, just, they, they look. He definitely played with exposure and color in a, in a very interesting way. You'll see, um, oddly, what we've seen more modern is the reverse, where people go for hypersaturate colors. And they want to make things pop and, 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 and be very vivid. Well, this was the reverse. This right. was, I'm going to pull back to as gray as possible. Yeah. And I think he did that to emphasize the scenes when it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like because the the gray suits or the red suits for the central services guys. Mm-hmm. In that scene, that's like the brightest thing there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His mom's I, his mom's hair. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Especially yeah. Towards, well, that towards whole the end of the scene with the makeup too. Even yeah. that, like the color of the makeup pops so much because everything else is gray. Yeah. And my guess is it was probably also a choice having to do with the theme of the story it wasn't just the way he liked the color interaction but it was this gray landscape yeah of humanity that we're now that this guy's trying to escape from because it is so gray Mm -hmm. yeah when you're you're inside of a machine right so everything is going to be gray and dark and yeah and and very bland and i'm jumping the gun but i had a, a similar not the same kind of thing but i had a similar feeling watching uh the other movie we're discussing this month um Repo Man mm-hmm. is that camera work, and I, we'll get to that later. But mm-hmm. that camera work was different than, like, I'll say, typical movie, and it mm-hmm. gave it it gave it more. I think you mentioned like an LA look mm-hmm. or something, mm-hmm. and it just to me it looked like gritty. Yeah. It looked urban, mm-hmm. and, and it's Whereas, it, it wasn't like there was dirt on the screen. Right, there it was just the way the camera was sitting there. And would you say this gray was more to go with the machine angle, more sterile, more almost yeah, just. It was sterile, and, and honestly, and you guys are going to laugh, but I mean, it's like, like I'll get, there's some things that I can watch and just detach from, and I'm fine. There's some things I watch, and I get the gross-out factor. Like, I could not, mm-hmm. like, during that movie, I probably couldn't get a snack and watch that movie. I, I don't know why. I and it's, it's just different different movies, but, you know, some, like, have no problems with it. 
but that one, and it was just the way they did the coloring and the people, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the skin color, they didn't look well. The food didn't look... Well, yeah, it was the thing. So pureed know. ice cream scoop of steak. I'm yeah. sorry. Can you just say the number, please? Say the number. Just say the number, please, sir. Say the number. Three. <laughs> number three. Very well, sir. Yeah. So, anyways, that's too it. rare. As he's <laughs> eating it, I'm like, how can you tell? Oh man, it's <laughs> like blood sausage. Mm. Well, black pudding. Hey, there's nothing wrong with black pudding. I, I mean, is it, I got, anything? I got sick every time I ate it in Scotland, <laughs> but it's awesome. Of course, as they set, you know, the first two things they set down are a different shade of green. Right. Yeah. So all that's running through my head is soil, soil green. green. Right. That's yeah. The, <laughs> these are the wrong parallels to be drawing, but that's what I've got for so you. So is, is number three people? Well, <laughs> it, it is. It is pink. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't mean to digress on that, but I like no, noticed I'm, that the camera. Fair, no, you're LA. you're you're dead on. And well, I like one of the things that he does with the camera that I do like. And I've, you know, I've already mentioned it before. This, this is not my favorite Terry Gilliam movie. Um, there's others of his that I, I like way above and beyond Brazil. This one I think gets a little too weird for me. But the thing that I do like is how he uses the camera and uses you know some of his kind of skewed filming angles to make it very tense. Mm -hmm. Like the idea, and the, the technical term, well, I guess technical term or the nickname for it is called the Dutch angle, where you actually tilt the camera so that the bottom of your frame is on an angle. Okay. So it's almost like you see the person, it's like a V8 commercial. The person is like tilted this way. Yeah. Oh, of course, I'm tilting in my chair, and everybody I'm sure can see that on the, the audio, guys on the audio the, medium. The bad guys in Batman, the, the show from the 60s. All the bad yeah. guys were in yeah. The, yeah. the crooked rooms. So the idea was, and that was meant to portray crookedness or uneasiness or that something was off about this. And... Um, that actually first got used, I was looking this up, it first got used in a movie that I almost brought up when we were talking about Nightmare on Elm Street at the beginning of the year. It was, there's a, an old 1920, I think it was 1920, movie called The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Mm -hmm. And this movie was, it was very much a, like a dream, a dreamlike movie. This, this person was retelling things that were happening in their dreams, mm -hmm. and then it would cut to you'd see what was going on in their dreams. Mm -hmm. And it's a very old movie, and so they had to use some, like, really, you know, nobody had ever tried this before, so they were trying to do special effects and other stuff, mm -hmm. and weird camera angles to make you feel like this is a very surreal experience. And so that was one of the first times that they actually tilted the camera, and they said, we're going to make you feel uneasy. We're going to make you mm -hmm. feel like the whole world is tilted, and, like, you almost have to, you know, turn your head this way to, to get a, a clear view of what's going on. And Gilliam uses that too, and he does that several times where his, you know, he either comes at a weird angle or, you know, he's either under somebody looking up this way or it's tilted and so using that Dutch angle with the camera. And it's just supposed to make you feel uneasy, just like the rest of the colors and the, the muted colors and the, the, like almost living noises that are coming out of the, yeah. well, the, and the noises in this movie, like the sounds in this movie, everything is very harsh. It's not what you expect, like when the phone rings. When you open up the duct system and it sounds like it's breathing and making yeah. bodily noises and yeah. all this other stuff, the whole idea is you're just meant to be, you're meant to be uneasy. Yeah. And you know, an hour into it, I was so uneasy. I was like, well, I think we need to turn it off. Yeah. I did finish the movie. I didn't. I didn't I, like turn it off completely and say I'm not finishing it. But I got to be honest. Like as much as I got, you know, uh, 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 railed because I didn't quite understand uh, the never-ending story. Mm -hmm. This one, I, I wasn't really, 
you know, like I was like kind of okay with like the weird, like okay, that's it. Oh, okay, he's just daydreaming. Like, and I, I didn't mean to like that was maybe even just belittling it, but it's like okay, he's imagining he's some kind of superhero with wings sailing around and daydreaming. Well, that seems normal. And I'll tell you though, the movie's kind of just plodding along, kind of going along, but in in my mind. But then when Robert De Niro showed up, I don't know. And I mean, obviously the guy's an amazing actor, but when Robert De Niro showed up, it was that is that Robert De Niro? That's Robert De Niro. That's pretty cool. And I thought the funniest thing was that, well, and I, I got to go back and watch it, but he was on he was on the phone, but he wasn't. He was pretending to be on the phone or something. And then I was like, turn around. And it, he was right there. I thought that, that whole sequence and every time he showed up was, that was pretty classic. One of the first things I want to do after this podcast is go watch the movie again. I tried to squeeze in some time to see it a second time. Mm-hmm. Didn't work out, but I feel like that next watching is going to be huge. Because I need to, I need to absorb some things that I missed the first time through. I need to, need to process. I think I was focusing too much on what they were saying and not enough about what was happening. Mm-hmm. Well, and this one, I, I don't know that I'll go rewatch it again. But I, this one does make me want to go back and rewatch the other movies of his that I do like. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. I, it makes me really want to go back and rewatch Twelve Monkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back and rewatch The Adventures of Baron Munchausen yes. again, which I did rewatch just a couple of years ago, and it was just as good as when I was a kid. And I forget when that movie comes out because we're probably going to talk about it within the oh, next yeah. couple of years or so. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at this list of other movies. I'm like, you know what? Brazil's okay. Like, I can, I can appreciate it for what it's supposed to be. I, I get it. It's the Terry Gilliam style, and I get what he's trying to do. I just don't care for it. You know, it's not my. In fact, I was reading Roger Ebert's review, and he's you know he gives it the two out of four stars, and I'm looking at that going, okay, I think we're kind of on the uh, we're on the same page here. Um, he said, actually, I've got it right here. Um, he says that he talks about Brazil being a lot like Orwell's 1984. He says, the other difference between the two worlds, Orwell's and the one created here by director and co-writer Terry Gilliam, is that Gilliam apparently had no financial restraints. Although Brazil has had a checkered history since it was made, for a long time Universal Pictures seemed unwilling to release it, there was a lot of money available to make it. The movie is awash in elaborate special effects, sensational sets, apocalyptic scenes of destruction, and a general lack of discipline. It's as if Gilliam sat down and wrote out all of his fantasies, heedless of production difficulties, and they were filmed. This time, heedless of sense. And he's, he says, uh, the movie is very hard to follow. I have seen it twice, and I'm still not sure exactly who all the characters are or how they fit. But then he admits, perhaps it's not supposed to be clear. So that could be part of the confusion of the movie. Because I, I kind of felt the same way. I didn't read this until after I had finished the movie because I didn't want right. I didn't want any review to skew me watching it for the first time. And then I read this and I'm like, that's exactly how I felt watching this. I remember the first half of the movie thinking, I don't know what the story is here. Like, I don't know. He's dreaming about this girl and it's the winged superhero thing and... Mm-hmm. And I'm confused, but am I supposed to be confused? Because I think in a lot of other Terry Gilliam movies, there is that confusion factor. Like, he I does think that on purpose. for that first half, you are. I mean, he yeah. dumps you. I mean, think about it. What's the first scene? Right, it's the propaganda stuff. Yeah. And yeah. Where they're, they're trying to sell you ducts, and then the guy's right. talking about the bombings, which, mm-hmm. which, is one of, which is one of my favorite quotes. We can talk about quotes mm-hmm. and other stuff. You know, what, do you, what, what can you say about how the, the bombings, like why they've gone on for, for 13 <laughs> years, why they've been able to do this for 13 years? <laughs> 
Yeah, beginner's luck. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay. He was respond he was right. responding to why they haven't been able to stop them or right. yeah. but we eventually will and mm-hmm. well and then I thought the whole thing was gonna be at first, you know, they mistakenly arrested the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you know, what was it like the bill? You can get reimbursed for the interrogation or something like that. And He's like going through the different options. And then, mm-hmm. But then that was that was one of my other quotes but, that I had. You know, here it and here's your receipt for your husband. Mm-hmm. And this is my receipt for your receipt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I know. And, but then it wasn't about that. But then it was about, and he was just kind of. And then I wanted to, you know, like I said, I'm like, all right, Robert, all right, they're going to rescue him. Okay, this is going to be like. But it doesn't, he doesn't let you off. And I haven't, I mean, I've seen the. Time Bandits, mm-hmm. but I'm, I, you know, and I've seen Monty Python, and and all several of those movies, but then it's like, oh, he's not going to let you off like that. Okay, then it's just going to be, you know, he's going to get lobotomized or whatever they were going to do to him. Oh, okay, but now they're going to rescue him, or the girl comes in to rescue him, or something, and then it just all kind of ends. Mm-hmm. And it's just like I, I get, I, I don't know, I'm not sure what to laugh. There was plenty of stuff I laughed at, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like I just enjoyed the ride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But my question is, and that's where I gotta go back and watch it. Mm. At what point was he dreaming, and at what point was he real? Like, like the um, well, the part where Falcor shows up, he's dreaming. Right, right. <laughs> Couldn't yeah. help yourself. Could that's, you? right, no. that's right. That's right. That's uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to. The um, uh, the, the Robert De Niro guy shows up. Tuttle. Yeah. Tuttle shows up. Not Buttle, Tuttle. Tuttle, right? Because that was the mistake. <laughs> Tuttle shows up, and the first time he showed up, okay, I took that as real. Mm-hmm. The second time, that yeah, because dude's air conditioning was out. Man, it is that's out. some serious stuff. And then, and then I thought, oh, is he, is he the saboteur? Is he the guy that's blowing things up? Like I, I was like, maybe that's the angle they're gonna work because Tuttle mm-hmm. was originally the name they were gonna arrest. Mm-hmm. So I was like, does that? But then that didn't seem to have any connection. So it was like, oh, okay, well that's just kind of zany. Then he showed up again and pumped the poop into the guy's suits, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, that was real. And then he escaped with the girl. And it was like, okay, that, so I'm just wondering at or, what point... Or was it? Or was the whole thing... Is is Tuttle really Sam Lowry's alter ego of what he wishes he could be? A la Fight Club, Tyler Durden, oh, okay. sort of stuff. And another thing that I read online... Because he does say how many times? It just fixed itself. Right. And I did read online, and then and I read this online after watching it, so I did go back and rewatch a couple of scenes, and I kind of got this as I was watching it anyway... The girl. The girl is also kind of a alter ego type thing for right. Sam. Because there's even that scene where they're in the department store. And he and the girl, uh, Jill, I keep forgetting her name. Uh, he and Jill are fighting. Yeah. Like they're, they're pulling and pushing each other and um, and they're fighting. And they're fighting right next to a mirror. And when you watch that scene, it looks like he's fighting himself because he's pushing and pulling right next to the mirror. So it looks like there's Sam huh. pushing and pulling Sam. Huh. And there's several other scenes where like we got check it out. Huh. Because there's other, and then it gets kind of weird when you know he now it gets wants, weird. wants to rescue her, and then they mm. do other stuff later. But right, right. Um, but there's a lot in there that's like, well, that's also that's a little bit of like his conscience, you know, when yeah. when he first jumps in her cab, and she's like, well, why do you why do you do what you do? Don't you think there's something wrong with it? And it's like the first time he's starting to question. You know, being with this Ministry of Information. and right. So it's almost like she's his conscience. So okay. you brought up conscience, and then you brought up the De Niro character. Are we looking at a id, ego, super ego situation here somehow? Could be. Uh, definitely hmm. worth rewatching. So then at what... Yeah. And then, they, then, then 
the Robert De Niro character, they busted in when they had him in the chair, right? Right. And he supposedly rescued him, but then he disappeared, and it was like, why right. did he disappear like that? That was kind of <clears> weird. But this, that would... Well, then you get back to the very end, and he never left that chair. He never left. So I know from that point on, that was... But earlier on in the movie, I mean, did... I'm trying to remember now, did anybody else see Harry Tuttle except for Sam? No. So... No, because the two repair guys, their backs always turned to him. They never saw him. Right. They don't know what he looks like. But they talk about him. They do. That scab Tuttle. Mm-hmm. But could it be a Tyler? But could be a, you a Tyler Durden thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it could be. So I was after yeah. I watched. I got that kind of vibe from like the, the woman part because with Jill, you know, there was one time some of the glass broke and like he looked in the glass and saw her face, mm-hmm. and it wasn't her reflection with the short hair. It was the long haired dream version of her that he sketched and, out on the right and it should have been like the way he was looking at the class it was almost like an angle that should have been his reflection but then he looks up and it's the short haired right but Jill other, that's upstairs in and the other people had seen her other people had seen her yeah but that but doesn't that doesn't that's that could have also been real. his imagination because the, then the parts with his dream remember the parts with his dream were like he's fighting the big fat samurai yeah then when they raid, was that in the department store? They kind of, the, a bomb goes off in the department store and some of the soldiers come running in and all of a sudden it's not him in the angel suit fighting the giant fat samurai, it's him in his business suit mm-hmm. dreaming about fighting this big samurai. Okay. So now his dream is bleeding into reality or, yeah. is, or, the he, other way around. or is he dreaming the whole thing? Or Right. Yeah. Huh. So... So that was kind of, I mean, there were a few things in there I was like, huh, okay. Well, the first half of this movie, I almost feel like if he could have just sped up that first half and got through some of that stuff and then got to this where he finally gets to the girl, if we can get to the girl faster, then at that point I'm like, okay, I can start to see a bit of a story here. But it's that beginning part. Like, I mean, Sharon and I, we gave it a full hour Mm -hmm. last night before we were like, no, I, mm -mm." Yeah. Time to, it's, it's already like 10 o'clock. It's time to switch this off and we'll come back to it later. But yeah. I have heard that there's a director's cut of this that is immensely better. Okay. Nothing on the version I watched. I watched the one I could rent online through mm-hmm. Amazon. None of the version I watched said anything about a director's cut. Mm-hmm. So I don't I've, know what... Supposedly there is a director's cut with like 10 to 15 extra minutes out there somewhere. Which mm-hmm. frightens me. Yeah. Because... I mean, it's already two hours and... 11 minutes long. <laughs> yes. Which is not that long of a movie when you think about some others, but when it's this kind of movie... Well, and like you were just saying, if that first hour was maybe 45 minutes, right. all of a sudden it might be a better movie. Right. To imagine 11 more minutes making it better... Right. I, I feel me. like if this was a if this movie was like an hour and a half, hour and 40, mm-hmm. I, I probably would have been okay with it. Chop clean, some clean things up, in the clean front. Up, clean up that front part, right. And Because I, I felt like there was a lot of stuff there that was just repetition. I'm like, I got the point. I'm like, I get the point. He's he's in a dead-end job. Right. He doesn't want to be promoted. I, I get it. Let's yeah, just, let's he didn't going. have to refuse the promotion so many times. Right. I don't know if they had to beat the the scene at the at the the lunch scene with right. the mom. The mother the f- with the plastic surgery. And, and her the, friend like, with the it. other plastic surgery. Right. Like, that... It was interesting, and it definitely sets up... Uh, a universe, mm-hmm. so I get it, but did we need it? It, right. it sort of smacked a little of this is this world I've created, right? I want you to know about it, right? You know, yeah, 
And I want you to spend time here whether you really want to or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, I, and I had, a, I had a couple of other quotes that I really liked from this one, and, and if you guys have some, we'll throw them in there too. You might have some of the same ones I do. Um, had the one where they were cutting the hole in the first part of the movie when they're coming in to arrest uh, Mr. Buttle. Yes. And they cut the hole and they try to drop the plug into the hole to clean it up. Well, then it works up here. Careful with those bloody things. Don't touch me. Why don't you just get the hell out of here? Don't you worry, love. We'll have everything ship shape in a jiffy. I said nothing to worry about. Wait, it's Tuttle downstairs who can worry, eh? Tuttle? His name's Buttle. There must be some mistake. Mistake? <laughs> we don't make mistakes. <laughs> Nothing to pickle. They've gone back to metric without telling us. That was, yeah. <laughs> but the Ministry of Information never makes mistakes. Well, no. Um, <laughs> this part. Perfect. See you, Jack. Give my regards to Allison and the twins. Triplets. Triplets. God. How time flies. Yeah. <laughs> Even Sharon made that comment. She's like, that time wouldn't make a difference with triplets. Ah, but in this but world. But in this world, maybe. Does it? Does because it? are they all clones? They could be. Which technically would make them maybe they don't exist. of a strange. You know, because the, the one's name is either Chloe or Holly or Amy or. <laughs> the other line was, is that one of your triplets? Could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it, just a weird... Could it be... Too, and you guys know Terry Gilliam, but, you know, through his movies better than I do, but could he just be out there to kind of weird people out? I mean, you know, there's always something... Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to say that, oh, well, it's all bunk, you know, everything yeah. you're saying. It, uh, but I mean... It could, he's he's could, Monty Python, so... Right, yeah. yeah I mean, hello. So, so maybe it's... it's uh, just out there and he's just, you know we're, we're well, why did it go that way why did it go that and it's yeah. just like maybe he just wanted to throw it out there just to kind of mm. let people be weirded out it's that Monty Python curveball it's like, yeah, you, you think we're going this way but and now for something completely different yeah. well and it, you know it could be as simple as he had this crazy story idea in his head and he reached popularity enough whereas as mm-hmm. Mr. Ebert says he was handed bags of money and mm-hmm. said I'm going to make a movie what would, you, what would you like to do <laughs> yeah exactly and good for him, mm-hmm. but it is definitely you know you start to wonder. Okay. Well, and I mean even you know even as weird as the ending of Holy Grail is, you you get the point of the movie. Mm-hmm. There are times in this one where you're like, mm-hmm. well, this was this satirizing anything? I mean, hopefully, um, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, um, yeah, yes. Maybe because wasn't that I mean, wasn't that the thing Monty Python kind of right. took a satirical look right. at? I you suppose. Know. Well, I mean, this was this was kind of like a satire of consumerism, and yeah. because you had like the people all the time. There was there was like Christmas time, and like you always had people talking about, you know, buying things, or you had the consumers for Christ, or you had the, um, <laughs> or you, or you had what do you, what do you want for Christmas? Yes. I want my own credit card. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> or you had the. Um, what was the, uh, you know, when they've got him like strapped into the chair and he's about to get tortured, and it's like, you know, you better not draw this out too long because if you do, it might affect your credit rating. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, a lot of the stuff is is satirizing consumerism and, okay. and how the world has become the way that it is, and yeah. And is it a? I guess it's not a funny satire of of this, but is it? Is it somewhat a satire of dystopian anything? Could be. Yeah. Because it takes that, 
it just takes it so far mm-hmm. that I think it crosses that line from serious dystopian mm-hmm. art into I can't quite say farce because it's not right. quite there, but it's. But in your dystopia, things are not supposed to be like things are supposed to be wrong anyway. Right. But not only are things wrong, but your thermostat's not working. Right. And your computer doesn't work right. Right. And yeah. your and the robots don't work right. And your so it is kind of and it, but they don't work right in a funny way. Right. And you have a weird guy named Tuttle. Right. Fixing your stuff. Right. <laughs> you know what? I'm just. I just had a thought. You know, we're we're saying are these characters alter, You know, his alter egos and all that. The 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 girl showed up, and when you mentioned the robots that don't work, there was that one robot that kept trying to get in her face, and she shoved the thing out of the way. She was trying to get the form filled out. Did he have any interaction with her in that scene? Did he see her? Did because otherwise, you know that, and that might have been the fluff, but. Why was that scene in there? Which I know we could say with a lot of the different mm-hmm. scenes, but I mean right. that that one sticks out in my mind. Like she came, she was talking to that ministry guy, that was relatively early on, mm-hmm. and then well, and that was he had already dreamed about her. Mm-hmm. Like he yeah. dreamed about her before he ever saw her, and yeah. then I think when she was there to bring those forms in to try to help out her neighbor to mm-hmm. see if he could get her husband back, um, Mrs. Buttle's husband back. Um, he had passed through security, and he looked at the security monitors, and I think the cameras were looking at people waiting in line. Oh, okay. And that's when he saw her on the monitors. Oh, okay. But I think when he saw her on the monitors, I can't remember. I'd have to go back and look at it. When he saw her on the monitors, did she have long hair? That's Because a- in reality, every yeah. other time, she's got the short hair. Mm-hmm. But I want to I say, and maybe I'm just remembering it wrong, when he first looked at those, when he glanced at the security monitors when he was talking to Michael Palin... Uh, Jack, he looked over, and I want to say she had long hair on the monitor. She does, I think. In my head, she does. He looks back, and they go back to the mm-hmm. conversation. Do they go back to the monitors, and then he sees her with short hair, and no, it's sort of I think like a reality goes, check? I think he goes back to the monitors, and it's a different her. person. Okay. It's already switched. But they do go back to the monitors. Right. Okay. Okay, so it was just to bring out that Yeah. I think that's showing us the connection. Okay. Because yeah. I don't okay. think we've okay. made it between the woman in his dreams and that woman. Right. You can visually, but I think that was them hitting us over the head with it. Okay. And here's another <laughs> really, here's a weird thing that I don't know if you guys noticed, and I didn't have time to go back and look and see, <clears throat> or to look this up. At the very end, when they're in the church, the Consumers for Christ Church, um, and it's the funeral, <laughs> which I thought was a great part, especially when he tips over the coffin and it just spills out. Yeah. The acid treatment did not go so well. No. Um, maybe that was a maybe that was a commentary on Terry Gilliam's acid trip that he was on while making this movie. There it wasn't go. going so well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he was going to end up like the corpse in the coffin. I got the acid treatment <laughs> um, just because but, he's revolutionary. But he's in there, and he keeps he's like mother, mother, and she won't turn around. She has a really bright red hair. When she does finally turn around, she's super young for a minute. And then you look at her a couple other times, she's still young, and then it cuts back to something else. Then it goes back to her, and she's got an older face again. When she looked super young, uh-huh. was that the actress that played Jill? See, yes. Because then I'm like, the woman of his dreams is his, now his mother? Well, now we're definitely crossing into some Now we're getting into stuff, like Back man. to the Future territory. Yeah, I, well, you're I'm falling in love that, with your mom stuff. Id, super ego, <laughs> ego thing mm-hmm. comes back up there for so sure. So I didn't get a chance to look, but every time I saw... The, the, red sure hair was, the red hair was throwing me off, but I'm like, that 
I thought, face really looks like I thought it was her. The actress that was no, playing. No, I thought Joe. it was. You I thought, thought it was like, her. Okay. I thought it was the girl of his dreams, yeah, okay. and I'm like, well, we'll have to go back and check. And, and then I, and then I got, I was all turned around, and I'm like, well, wait, who's in the? Is his mom in the coffin? Well, no, yeah. his mom's not in the coffin. Well, then why? Like I was all completely no, it was turned the, it around. No, the old lady that had been lingerie shopping. Right. Imagine me in these. Oh, God. <laughs> no, no. Nope. No, thank you. My retinas, my retinas are burning. <laughs> and that's and that's maybe where and that's maybe where my fa- well, I got to see the movie a second time because I just would watch so much and so much, and then it was just like, I'm just going to enjoy it, and then yeah. I stopped like picking, you trying stopped to, looking critically now. Yeah, that's what it, happened to me too. And yeah, then, so yeah. yeah, interesting. Right. An interesting well, do you guys have any other favorite quotes or anything like that from the movie? My my last one, I'll let you do yours, and then I'll, I'll put in my last one, because I think my last one is the you've, most disturbing You've hit some one. of the best ones. The credit card one was, was good. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the scene getting coming in to arrest the Mr. Buttle, mm-hmm. the whole thing with the receipt. Yeah, I think you hit all the ones I'm conjuring up in my head, that's for sure. I think it's hilarious the movie is named Brazil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, because what does that have to do with anything? Right. Like I and at the very end, like I'm like, oh, so they end up in Brazil, or I thought it was a, um, uh, what's the Jim Carrey, um, where he's the guy in the place that they've been watching since forever, and he always wanted to go. Yeah, to, Truman uh, Show. Truman Show, and then he wanted to get to uh, Fiji. Fiji. Yeah. I thought it was gonna be something like that, and then mm-hmm. it was just like the music comes, but they're playing the tune Brazil, and mm-hmm. they kind of changed the tune Brazil depending on the scene of the, you know, and it was just like. Oh, okay. So I'm sure there's some reason that I'm just not seeing, yeah. but I just see it as, ah, that's really weird humor, and that just cracked me up. Well, I, I wondered about that, so I looked it up, and I don't know that Terry Gilliam has ever said why it's called okay. Brazil. And I don't know that he chose the name Brazil, because sometimes directors don't always choose the name of their movie. Um, but a couple things that I'd read said that it was maybe kind of a reference to, because you had the song, mm-hmm. Brazil, and it was all about escaping and getting away, and that... A lot of times in, in some of the older movies or older stories, you have when somebody is, is maybe like a, a criminal that's trying to run away from the law, well, you're going to go to South America and maybe go to like Rio, yeah. and that's where you're going to end up at. So maybe the idea was, you know, maybe if they can get away from this place, well, everybody else is going to Rio, so let's just, let's go to Rio, and, yeah. and let's go to Brazil. But the other interesting thing that I that I read was um, that Brazil with an S, I found this in an article on the on the internet, um... Brazil, spelled with an S instead of a Z, is a mythological island from uh, Irish mythology. Okay. It's an island that's supposed to be shrouded in mist, and it's only visible once every seven years. And once it is visible, people can see it, but you can't. You can never get there. Okay. This is, this is oddly resemblant of Brigadoon. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So I mean, it could be that maybe he had read mm-hmm. that somewhere. Maybe he you know knew the mythology part of it. And he said, "Well, that's kind of like my story. It's, you know, okay. he can, he can, he gets glimpses of getting out of this place, or he gets glimpses of how he can escape. But really and truly, and by yeah. the, when you see the end of the movie, he's not escaping. He's right. still there. Right? No, there's no escape from this. So hmm. interesting. Yeah, that was. It was a fun movie. Yeah, I'm watching was, this one again now. I gotta yeah. be honest. Most disturbing line. Do you have a most disturbing line? Oh. Or most disturbing scene of the movie? The food. The food? Yeah. I'll give you my most disturbing line was... You don't exist anymore. I've killed you. Jill Layton is dead. (laughs) 
care for a little necrophilia? <laughs> Point you most most disturbing line yeah. of any movie. I wonder when you read the script. Did you read that script and go, uh, I, I you know, I, when will I ever get another opportunity to say that line? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that definitely threw him. That's pretty funny. <laughs> like, huh? <laughs> well, there, okay. Well, there you go. There that is. Yeah, oh, it happened. Let's go watch Twelve Monkeys. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to finish up our discussion on Brazil. Um, you can come on back next time when we will be talking about another really weird movie, Repo Man. So join us next time. Thank you again for joining us on the 30-something movie podcast. Again, the other ways that you can reach us on our voicemail line, if you'd like to leave some feedback or leave us a message, uh, voicemail line is 872-35-MOVIE. That's 872-356-6843. We are on Twitter, at 30podcast. That's at 30podcast. You can hit us right on the face, uh, 30podcast.facebook.com. Uh, if you would like to be our patron, again, we've said before, it doesn't cost us a whole lot to put together this podcast. Uh, it's just it's something we love doing, and it's there's just some time involved and some hosting fees. Um, but if you'd like to support us financially, if you like what you're hearing and you want to throw a dollar or two our way each month, our crowdfunding page is the30podcast.podbean.com and click on the link that says Be My Patron. We're looking forward to having you back here next time when we are discussing the movie Repo Man. So I don't know if this podcast has been a dream or not. Did this really happen? Are you really still listening? Or have you escaped to Brazil? Brazil.